0: Alright, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Once you get those Bibles, open them up to the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, and we pick it up in chapter 8, verse 1 this morning. Read along with me if you would, please. When he had come down from the mountain, a great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him and saying, I am willing to be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way. Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. You pray with me, please. Lord, on this beautiful, chilly blustery sunday afternoon in november we're seeing now the uh, starting to see the sharp jagged teeth of winter starting to uh, bite into the wind we're starting to see the leaves blow away and the arthritic limbs of trees now showing themselves behind it. We feel the cold and the rain in a deeper and more bone-aching way. And here in this room, God, we are warm and we're comfortable. There's no threat. At least from without. But God, I pray You would speak to every one of us in such a way that we would find ourselves transformed today. That we would be delivered, Lord, from the threat of ourselves. We would walk out of here clean. God, I pray that you would minister in such a way that we would find ourselves in amazement of your goodness. So speak perfectly to each of us individually where we need to hear you corporately as a family. God, I pray you open our ears and minds and hearts. And for the next 45 minutes or so, God, let our hearts and minds be ready for you to do your perfect work. We commit this time to you and pray that you would profoundly minister to each of us. As we hand ourselves over to you, Lord, save, equip, captivate us in your word, and may we have so much fun in your word today, but make it personal in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today, as so I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures, let the Bible will always be your authority. In Matthew chapter four, Jesus calls the fishermen and they fish for men. They knitted a bumper crop of society's bottom dwellers. Each will be personally profoundly impacted and transformed by Jesus' touch. By chapter 5, Jesus starts the school of Jesus. He sits and the bell rings and the class emerges. And he begins his message. And he starts with them. They're blessed. Salt. Light. He, the fulfiller. And we need to be right from the inside out. And start storing heaven's treasures, not our own, not at least these earthly ones. By the time he rounds the chapter to the final, he teaches us to be a plankless, reconciling ambassador. Concluding by presenting us with two doors, two roads that lead to two houses, and then those two prophets, two trees, two people saying, "Lord, Lord," and the end of it, the ultimate difference really will be whether you don't just hear God's Word, but act on it, do it. And you'll be in the same place today, by the way. You'll hear it. Most of you, if not all of you. But no house is secure at the hearing, but only at its doing. Jesus showed us the danger of the wide road, the broad way, and, if you will, the wide gate. As he showed us on that road, there will also be pearl trampling swine, irreverent dogs, merciless judges, ravenous wolves, false prophets. Things that are in every way deleterious to your walk. Every spiritual cancer and gangrene there for your taking. But now in chapter 8, things start to move now from, well, from ideology to example. And we really start to see now who can not just... Who would enter, as we saw in the previous chapter, who wouldn't, but also who can. And what we're going to find in that is that the door is open. This narrow gate, this rough road is open to anyone. It is not few can make it in per se by ability. The moment they trust in Christ, the door is open for every one of you, me too. So Jesus has been at school and he's been teaching. And chapter 8, verse 1 starts with that. In that mindset, school is still in session. We used to have a friend of ours. He was an ex-Hell's um, Angel knuckle breaker. Really was. That's what he did for a living. And he used to have these great sayings and he'd talk like this. And he'd say, you know, as long as you're still breathing, school's in session. And school was in session for Jesus. But I do love this, that Jesus did what most of us would fail to do and make our Christianity weak in the process. And that is that he will do more than just lay out ideals. He will live it for us to embrace. So interesting in the grammar, and I won't develop it too much, but I want you to realize that, that there are basic terms. I mean, the, the Greek is so explicit that the more I dig in, it doesn't change the meaning of anything. It only deepens my understanding. And there is a basic term in the verb tense called errorist. And what errorist means in the simplest sense is it's stated as a fact, if you will, as if we were looking at the action at a snapshot. On the other side of it, it is very clear and evident that there is also those verb tenses, for instance, something in the present or in the imperfect, where things are now not focused on its completion, as if you were watching film. And if you look at that, you kind of see how school starts here. This is what it says in the beginning, for what it's worth. Now, when he had come down the mountain, second errorist, active participle, if you will, there's a picture of Jesus coming down the mountain. And it says, And the great multitudes followed him, also errorist, indicative. Now, also errorist, but in this case, indicative. So, Here's everyone else. Following Jesus. Wanting to be like Jesus. And then it says, behold. A different word for behold than some where their word would be be warned or be attentive. But this is the word idu. And it's the other word for to know. If you will, it would be as if we were to say, don't miss this. Learn from this. There's our point. Idu. Don't miss this. Learn from this. It says, behold, a leper came. And again, we have our errorist parsable. A leper was coming. There's the leper. And then it says, and worshipped him, and it says, if you, if you will, now we get into, this case, the imperfect, imperfect active. Now, what does that mean? It's as if it were this. Jesus is heading down. Remember, everyone's like, we want to be like Jesus. Jesus has given us these principles, and so Jesus starts walking. And we're watching from behind. Jesus walks like that. Let's walk like that. So we're walking. The crowd is walking behind Jesus. And it says, now, don't miss this. Learn from this. Here comes a guy, and now the leper. Now, Luke, in his parallel text, tells us that he was covered in leprosy. He was at the final stages of leprosy, and we'll develop that in just a moment. But get the point here. He may not have had hands. He may not have had feet. But he certainly was covered in leprosy. And who would write that but the Dr. Luke? And as we get that, we see another picture. But this picture is different. So look at our three snapshots. The first snapshot is of Jesus walking. The next snapshot is everyone wanting to follow Jesus walking behind him. Third snapshot. Now let's add into that mix this guy. So here's Jesus. We're going to do what he says. Here's the people wanting to be following like him. And let's add, what does Jesus do with this kind of guy? He's covered in leprosy. And then God says, now roll film. And now we have to watch this thing unfold. And from this point on, it's present active, present active, present active. Now everything is like, now the whole film rolls. Because God's like, don't, don't miss this. Yo, 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 peep this. Don't miss this. Learn from this. Watch your teacher. But it's different than just that. So let me develop a little bit about this aspect of what leprosy is. Daniel, if you will, we'll start with a picture of what it looks like. The, the leprosy in its microscope. <coughs> this is what we might call for what's with Bacillus bacterium leprite. It is clearly a bacteria. It is a rod shaped, as you can see, acid fast bacteria. By the way, I don't know if you're aware of this. It is the cousin to tuberculosis. Tuberculo, that's such a hard word to say, isn't it? Tuberculosis. It is a virulent strain of bacteria. And what that means is it doesn't die easy. As a matter of fact, in a situation like a tropical setting such as Israel, it can actually exist outside of a human host for as long as 12, 11 to 12 days. Today, by the way, to give you an idea, well, let me say it this way. A year ago, last year, the last full year we've had, there were 213,899 identified new cases of leprosy in the world. Most of which, of course, coming from India. That would be, on average, one new case of leprosy every two minutes in the world still. Today, to this day, by the way. It's germination period, by the way. It's incubation period really is about five years, but it goes to full maximum maturity in about 20. So let me kind of show you how that works. First of all, it manifests, or if you will, it it metastasizes inside your mucous membranes. Does anyone know where that is? That's your sinuses, behind your eyes, your nose, that kind of thing. That's where it lodges and makes a home. So, we're running on the train one day, and some guy goes, ah, and he sneezes all over the railing. Now, you didn't see that, because that could have happened 11 days ago. So, by that point, the person who gave it to you is long gone. And you just kind of saw someone, and you wanted to be cool, and you went, in the leprosy snot. That evening, you got home and you took out your contact. You picked your nose. You checked that bleeding spot on your gums. And guess what just happened? It started... Now, this is making you feel good already? All right. So, and it makes its way into your system. Now, as it makes its way into your system, it starts to germinate. And for the next few years, you may know nothing of it. Because it happens inside. But as it starts to germinate inside... This is its primary mission, if you will. Its coding is one that for every nerve you have, there are spaces we call synapses in between them. And they fire information back and forth. The other day, when Evan stubbed his toe, that's a lot of distance between his toe and his head. But it made it there rather quick. Every one of those things fired. The other side received it. It sent it up to here. And it sent it to his mouth where it went, ah! Ah! Then it sent it back down to his foot and said, pull the foot out. All of that happened in less than a second. But there were at least 333,000 different experiences that went on in regards to the synopses between his foot and his head, his mouth, and his his foot again. 333,000 of them. Now, with all of that, that happens is that somewhere down the line, the communication between these nerves gets broken down by this bacteria. So what happens is, is that when pain is experienced between one side to the other, it blocks it. It doesn't stop the experience, it just stops the pain. It destroys, in essence, what it starts to do is it starts to shut down your nerves. So this is the way that it works. Since it started in your face, the first thing it starts to affect are the nerves. Well, you're aware of the fact your nerves are the control center for your muscles. So the first place you will see it is in the most tender spot on your face. That's your eyes. What will happen is you'll cease to blink like it used to because that's an involuntary response triggered by your nervous system. That's why, have you ever seen somebody that's had a little bit too much energy drink? Or, if you will, they've been at Starbucks four times because of those little flyers they gave you at King's Cross. And you're like, yes, yes, whoo, yes, whoo, whoo, what am I saying, What am whoo, 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 and their eyes are blinking on and off. They can fan you with their eyelashes. Well, one of these is because your eyelids are kind of clicking with your nervous system. So the first place you see it is in the eyes. Well, what happens when you don't blink enough? Your eyes get dry. And when your eyes get dry, the lenses of your of your eyes start to get cloudy and ultimately blindness happens. Now that happened and you still would start going, wow, that's really strange. I don't notice myself doing this. There's a difference when you're staring off into space, for instance, from like an Italian meal food coma and something like this, where obviously your eyes are just not blinking anyways. So that's where it starts. But then it starts to attack the muscles in your face. So then what happens is the things that happen here start to get loose. And the hardest thing to do at that point is to smile. Now you're not blinking and now you're not smiling. But then it starts to make its way to your flesh. And it starts with a little bump of some sort. Usually, by the way, copper colored. But by this point, it's usually had years to metastasize inside you, though no one saw it, including you. But now you're starting to notice that you don't feel the pain you used to feel the same way. And at first, maybe you feel like one of those hockey commercials. Have you ever seen those hockey commercials in Canada? Where it's like a guy shoving the door in his hand or slamming the car door in his hand and it's like, hockey makes you tougher. Well, it's kind of that idea. And all of a sudden you realize things that you would have said ouch to, now you don't even experience. You don't really notice them as much. But now... This is a problem. 2,000 years ago, this is a huge problem. Because there's no cure back then. Now, in 1984, there has been a cure, by the way. You can't reverse what it's done, but you can stop it now. Because it's a bacteria, and they figured out how to stop it. Working with strains of tuberculosis. So 2,000 years ago, it was a death sentence. And it was an amazing death sentence. Because the moment you got that bump, the last thing you wanted to do was have it looked at, but you knew you had to. Some of you know that experience because some of you, I know, have had battles with cancer. And you felt a lump. You've gone, oh God, please let this lump go away before I have to do something with it. And you know that dread of not knowing, but the dread of its existence and just wanting it to go away. Well, that's kind of the idea here. The problem with something like leprosy is you don't go to a doctor for this. You go to a priest. According to the book of Leviticus, chapter 13, it's very clear and evident what happens is that you have to go to a priest and he takes a look at this. He sees if the hair start getting blanched white. He sees that the face starts to scale because this, by this point, it's had quite a little bit of a time to mature. But, you know, the last thing you want is for him to tell you the obvious truth. You have leprosy. Now, at that point, you know, this one, two thousand years ago, there's no reversal. Two, it's a slow, torturous death because the worst part about it is you die by not feeling. Every nerve starts to shut down. So what does that mean? There are nerves underneath your skin. And as there are nerves underneath your skin, as skin dies. And you're probably aware of the fact your skin dies every day. But there are nerves underneath it that say, hey, we need a requisition. Let's get a requisition for some fresh skin here. And you get new skin that gets put underneath it so it keeps rotating if you will it keeps and it's a really nice thing it kind of in essence or you know what happens is you get fresh skin so what happens when your nerves aren't working well it gets that dust if you will turns to powder but as it turns to powder there's nothing to get it off of you so you have dead flesh on you and there's nothing to requisition, new skin underneath it. And that's why they call it the white death, or why you would look leprous, because you would be covered then in white. You would be completely white by the time you're done. This is one of the things the priest looks for. Here's the problem. Let's say that that's the case with Sarah, and I'm not trying to pick on you because it would be such an obvious change, but let's just shoot there. So Sarah wakes up one day, she's got a bump on her head. She doesn't know what it is. It starts to turn copper colored. That gets her really nervous at this point. 2,000 years ago, she needs to go see a priest. She goes and sees... The the priest and the priest looks he immediately removes her from the camp if she's in any way a danger he's going to get her out so he pulls her out of the camp and as he pulls her out of the camp he's going to look at her in another week as he looks at her in another week he looks and he has to tell her that thing like he would say you have stage four terminal cancer he has to look and say you have leprosy now according to leviticus 13 by the way what happens then is you have to be removed she is a danger now, especially 2,000 years ago. No one's really clear on how it was transmitted. All they know is that they're scared to death, and what's going to happen is this is the best Sarah will be from this point till she dies, and she knows it. Some of you who lived back in the 80s remember when AIDS first made its way out, and how you, what we watched, very strong, virulent individuals erode into nothing in front of us. By the way, a side note, but an important one. Do you know how an AIDS cell works? The same way that a false teacher does. See, so what an AIDS cell does is you have these, you have these, um, and this is, I'll make this quick, but you have these sort of, if you will, harbingers in your body like watchmen, T-cells, and they kind of watch for diseases, and what they do is they kind of say, hey, there's something coming in over here, and they call in things to fight it. They're, if you will, the guards of your system in your bloodstream. And what the AIDS cells do, the way, by the way, is they make themselves, and they imitate those T cells. So they pretend like they're a watchman, but they're not. They're actually, as a result of that, they let in all of the diseases because nothing gets sent out to protect you from it. Brilliant and horrible at the same time, if you will. Back to our leprosy. In Sarah's case now, Sarah has to be removed. And where is Sarah going to go? She is going to go to a leper colony. A place where other people with leprosy are the same way that in the 80s you would be sent to an AIDS hospice. Now, when Sarah walks to that leper colony, I remind you at this moment, Sarah is the healthiest person in the colony. Would you agree? So what is Sarah looking at as she sees the people in front of her? She's looking at her future. Well, let me show you what that looks like as it starts to metastasize on the face. Daniel. This is what happens when leprosy starts to make its way. Do you see the copper color as it starts to manifest on the face? But I remind you, as it starts to hit the face, as it starts to manifest in the skin and on the flesh, ultimately, because of nerves, it's going to make its way to the farthest places from your heart and mind. That will be the end of your appendages. Next picture, please. And what you're going to see here is this is what happens. These are people with genuinely with leprosy. What happens now is that your fingers and your toes lose any feeling. Your body doesn't get told by the nervous system to get blood down to those things. And what happens is they start to die. Do I have any other pictures of that? This is what happens ultimately to your face. And you can see now how your eyelids are no longer working, functioning here. Next one. Or is that it? That's it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, please hear me in this. I believe it was 1847 was the last time we had an indigenous case in this country. But every year in this country, 10 people are diagnosed with leprosy. Are you aware of that? More than likely people who have traveled to places like India. Now, please hear me. Sarah walks, and as she walks into this place, what she sees are people that are all covered in dust. Their own skin dust, by the way. And they're laying out there, but they're numbed to death. If Sarah were even on her way, the moment she is diagnosed, she must cover herself up with her cloak and scream, Unclean! Unclean! And for good reason, because any decent person shouldn't go within three meters of her. The idea of I wouldn't touch someone with a ten-foot pole, there's our idea. Because nobody wants to get this. This, in the eyes of a religious community, was God's death sentence, is what it was. That's what it was. Which means that the moment she would scream that, everybody would part at least three meters away from her. In other words, if she were walking down this aisle, everyone would be at least on the other sides of those pews. Now that was for protection. We get that. Amazing in all of this, ultimately what will happen is, I remind you, this can make its way for 20 years. Because there are strong muscles that work like your heart and your lungs. And that was how you ultimately die, is they'll cease to function. You die by not feeling. Going back to Sarah. So that means the moment she is diagnosed, everybody clears from her. And she knows it. that's why you don't want to go and find out in the first place, but you have to. Because see, if she was diagnosed, if she was discovered, or if her family was discovered hiding her in their house, they would burn them all. And for her love for her family, she has to go and get found out. But that means from this point on, everyone looks at her like a freak. From this point on, everyone flees from her. And she'll never again feel a hand in hers. She knows that. Even if there was a hand to hold, she wouldn't feel it. No more warmth of, an, of a hug of a friend. Not even the warmth and the sound of a voice at this point. No more hand upon a shoulder. No more feeling somebody muck with her hair. No more of any of that. She's going to die without human touch. I can't imagine a more horrible way to die. Except the cross. But what's crazy is that in Leviticus 13, though it tells us all of this, there's this strange, bizarre process about how to deal with a person once they've been cleansed, or literally, once they've been healed, how to declare them clean. And we'll go through that in a moment, but... Because of that, you would tend to think God says somewhere, somewhere down the line, speaking to the priests, somewhere down the line, somebody is going to get clean and you're going to have to know this stuff. You're going to need to know this stuff. But we have no record since Moses' sister of anyone that is Jewish being healed in the Old Testament. That's Jewish. We have a Syrian named Nechaman, a commander, but... He doesn't have to go through this process because, after all, he's not Jewish. That was given, again, in Leviticus by the book of Numbers, the next book. Miriam will get leprosy for a moment and be cleansed. So somewhere down the line, Moses, or Aaron, if you will, had to do this process at least once. But We have nowhere else that there is a record for this in regards to Jewish people. So what does that mean? It means somewhere down the line, this has been something now for over a thousand years we've never really needed. It's sort of like one of those things, a handbook for something, just in case, you kind of keep and maybe you'll refer to it. You, ever, you ever have those handbooks where you know you'll probably never need it, and then you need it and you can't even find out where you put it. But Jesus here, on the other hand, we have this scene, and it is the first class outside of just simple teaching. And this is where we go with it. Can you imagine this is where he goes with it? Because he wants to show us that in all cases... By the way, that map just showed us where the intensity of uh, leprosy still is to this day. South America and India primarily. And class is now in session. And imagine, what, if, if you will, Jesus is being thronged with people. It's not, I remind you, it's not just 12 guys. There have been a multitude of people Jesus has healed. Can I remind you of that back in, in Matthew 4? Jesus is taught to, when he says his disciples, we might think twelve, there, there could be infinitely more than that. We know there are a lot more than that, because by John 666, 6, 6, many of his disciples walk away and no longer follow him. Jesus had a very large class to start with, but most of them dropped out. And with that now, get this, Jesus is being thronged with people. So imagine this huge mass of people. And as there's this huge mass of people, this guy screams, unclean! He may not have had his, again, Luke tells us, he was in the final stages. He may not have arms. Do you know why you lose your fingers in a place like that? Do you know why you lose your toes? Because it's dead skin. And it is common, common to wake up from the sound of the rats eating your toes. Not from the feeling, because you don't feel it. From the sound of the rats eating your fingers. You'd stick him in a fire and you wouldn't know it. What kind of guy does he look like here? He's white and he is at best limping. But here's the beauty. With Jesus standing, if you will, like where that baptismal is... And the crowd lurting all over this place, just crowds of people as if we're trying to make our way in to the northern line at about nine AM somewhere in central. And and all of a sudden this guy screams, I'm clean! Everybody parts like the Red Sea. Because God created that back in Leviticus thirteen, this man now has a straight shot to Jesus. And so he starts to walk. And ultimately falls to his knees and begins to worship Jesus. Now, maybe you're aware, maybe you're not. The word in the Greek for worship, in, in the Hebrew, it's different. It's shecha. Shecha means to bow, to show yourself less than. I get that. But the, but the Greek word even more profound in the sense of what we kind of grasp. It is pros proskuneho. Pros means towards, kuneho means to kiss. It's a very different word. It is the Pledge of Allegiance. It is a pursuit of intimacy. What a beautiful word for worship. Cuneo like a dog who kisses its master's hand. And this is the word of a guy who is covered in leprosy. And he turns to Jesus and he says, if you are willing. Now you can heal me. You can make me clean. Meanwhile, we, his students, the disciples, are now watching school unfold in front of us Do we even know it? Do we even know it? Are we thinking, oh man. And think about it. While Sarah has had time to lay there for 20 years, lay there among people moaning because the only thing they can feel physically is heavy. She'd have time to review what possible sin could have caused this. Because everyone else is going to think that. Is there anyone in this room, honestly, is there anyone in this room, anyone, that couldn't come up with something? It wouldn't take me long to say, I deserve this. Because I thought that, felt that, did that, wanted that. It wouldn't take me long. And I could sit there in that condemnation for two decades. But somewhere down the line, someone said, Jesus heals everyone. And if everyone means everyone, that must mean you too. Could you imagine? Think of the faith of this guy, because if he really were a prophet, as many were calling him, she knows if she stands before him, he could just openly declare to everyone what horrible things she did to deserve this. Do you want that? The question is, is it worth the risk? So, did you notice, by the way, that when the man turns to him, he doesn't question Jesus' ability. Did you see that? Might I say, the gun of faith is a double barrel? It's about God's ability, but it's also about his God's availability. It's about God's power, but it's also about God's personality. I mean, for most of us, we don't doubt God created everything. He can do whatever He wants. He's got the power to do whatever. The question isn't whether God could do it. It's whether He would do it for me. That's a different kind of faith, isn't it? We say, oh, sure, he'll do it for her. He'll do it for her. Sure, he loves her. He loves Abraham. The guy's got a great name. He's God's he's got to love a guy like that. You know, I mean, <clears throat> you know, it's like we, we could easily transfer it over to someone else. But really, would God do it for me? Because that's where the guy is. The guy is not questioning if you're able. The question is, are you willing I've had 20 years to tell you, I know why I've done, I know what I've done, and I know I've earned this. This is not an issue of deservedness. This is not an issue of justice. This is not an issue of somehow in this, I've got been given the raw end of the deal. I deserve this. The real question now is, would you be willing out of mercy and grace to do this anyways? But I'd like to put yourself in this position. Sarah, again, playing the role. She's playing the role of a leper. Notice in the text, Jesus speaks before he speaks. This man, or in this case, if you will, Sarah, this person, for 10, 20 years, has never felt the touch of another hand, never felt the warm hug of a friend, never felt the arm around her, never even felt the weirdness when you bump into a person on the train and at least you know they're there, so if you're going to fall, you'll land on something probably soft. But the way that Jesus has done this, I got honestly has revolutionized my own ministry because I realize the importance of touch. Now I realize you can't touch everyone the same way and I'm not talking about something weird. See, we already go weird with it, don't we? but how important it is to follow my master in this. And what Jesus said as he looks at this person is he does this before he ever speaks. And I kind of get the idea. I remind you, the question is, are you willing? And what I get is that Jesus made really clear, not just, not just with words, that he was very willing. Which would mean that the first thing this man feels is Jesus' hand. The first thing for so long. I can't even imagine not being able to feel an arm around mine. I have three beautiful girls that will wrap their arm around mine when I walk. Good news is they all bear my surname. Let me make that clear. Two are my daughters. Just one to make clear you're new here. I love it. And they each fit in such a cool way, and each one of them unique. I've I've never been much of a movie watcher, but since I've had my children, I've become quite a movie watcher. And one of the reasons is because I get to sit next to them for hours. You go, yeah, we're staring at the same mindless perhaps, but for the moment, I just get to be with them, and that feels great. I can't even imagine what that would feel like to be gone from that for a week and to think, oh my goodness, and to think, I will never feel this again. Interesting for what it's worth, by the way, because I really want to get into this crazy ceremony that goes at the end of this, so we'll see what Jesus is doing in this. But I want to remind you, this person risked it in front of a multitude of people. And as this person risked it in front of a multitude of people for what it's worth hearing. And Jesus reaches out his hand. <clears throat> I'm quoting from Exodus 30, verse 29. When God speaks about things of the temple, or in this case, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the furniture, the structure. He gives them two categories. That which is holy and that which is most holy. In Exodus thirty twenty nine, we read, You shall consecrate them, that they may be most holy. Whoever touches them must be holy. And our natural approach to that is that if it's something is most holy, it better be holy if it touches it. But in the Hebrew, which speaks in the cal imperfect And what that means is, and you'll see it if you have the old King James or some of the other literal translations, is whoever touches it or whatever touches it shall become holy. There's the idea of imperfect. Interesting, because I see that born out in Adonio and first Adonia, that's David's son, by the way, who wanted to become king instead of Solomon, set up his uh, throne if you will, surreptitiously, First Kings one fifty, And then in Joab in First Kings 2.28, in both cases, these guys go and run to the, the, the uh, horns of the altar to try to find absolution. Now, don't miss it. Here's the idea. If something is most holy, whatever touches it becomes holy. But if it's just holy versus most holy, whatever is holy, whatever touches it becomes defiled interesting the first thing i noticed the difference between holy and most holy is its power of influence so what's the difference in practicality that which is holy represents the presence of god that which is most holy experiences the presence of god so my question to you is do you want to be holy or do you want to be most holy if you're most holy, you're walking in the presence of God. And as you're walking in the Spirit, you have influence over it. But if I'm just trying to be holy, I'm going to try to represent. I'm going to represent God because I just, I tell you, I experienced him ten years ago and I walked with him back then, but now I've got some experience. I'm going to give you some memories. If that's the case, when you touch something defiled, it's going to influence you. And that's what I see in this text. Is there something greater? Is there, there's holy, most holy. Is there anything greater than Most holy if you will, it would be holy, holy, holy. The only thing greater is holy, holy, holy. And that's exactly what Jesus has declared in the book of Revelation. Irreversibly, unescapably, perfectly holy. Nothing's going to change it. And this is what we see. The ultimate unclean and the ultimate holy, which one is going to win. Why would no one else touch him? Because at best they were holy, at best. But they didn't have the power and influence. But Jesus, God incarnate, is not intimidated. You'd say, oh, you touched a leper. And you could see Jesus going, "Where, where is he? See, the problem, Jesus doesn't have a problem going to church and touching a dead thing on the way because it's not dead when he's done. And here is this unclean thing that comes at him. But Jesus is unintimidated. And I love the fact that we as students here today are here looking and we're going, all right, what do I learn from this? Jesus is unintimidated. But more than just unintimidated, Jesus is willing. And listen, listen, listen. And we'll get into that final couple of verses here. I mean, final couple of verses of four. Hear me, please. Maybe you don't feel like you're a leper. I don't have leprosy. I look at your faces. I kind of don't see leprosy on them. But listen to this for a moment, because what happens is you numb yourself to death. So this is what it looks like. What it looks like is it starts, I remind you, a manifesto that nobody can see it, including you. And the whole purpose is to stop you from feeling. So I don't know what that is, but I can tell you this. Things happen in life that make you not want to feel anymore. This person said this. This person did this. This horrible thing happened. I expected this, but it didn't happen. And you start to feel pain. And you go, whatever happens, I want this pain gone. At any cost. At any cost. And it starts to metastasize inside. As a Christian, it starts to metastasize inside. And you know, as a priest... And I'm not the only one. We as Christians are called to be that, to represent the living God, to walk with Him and carry those sins, take those sins to Him. Listen, the first place where we'll see it is in your eyes. That's where we'll see it just like that. Because before they used to gleam and they used to be bright and they had great vision. They don't have them now. Now there's no blinking. It's dry now. It's cloudy now. There's not that excitement there used to be. But that's just the beginning. Then it makes its way here and the joy has gone. Remember that joy that seemed to come up so much that people that hated you were irritated by it and other people told them to shut up because you were so joyful it was cool? When people looked and went, oh, I love it when you're like this. And it was so supernaturally natural that your eyes beamed and your face smiled But something inside is killing a pain. And because it's trying to kill a pain at this point, it's killing you and you don't even see it. And then it makes its way to your flesh. As it makes its way to your flesh, it starts to erupt. And now that same person that would have given godly counsel and that same person that would have had patience and that same person that saw something as an opportunity now looks and they see it as an obligation. Oh, those people. Oh, that thing. It used to be so easy and now it's so rough. And you wake up in the morning and it's like, I remind you, the problem with leprosy is the only thing you feel sooner or later is weight. And you wake up in the morning and it's like all there is is gravity. Not excitement. Not a plan, not hope, just ah, another day. And then it makes its way to your hands and feet. And now you're not, you're not able to do it anymore. And you're not able to go there anymore because you just don't want to and now you can't. So let me ask you, without a show of hands, let me ask you, how many of you really are dealing with leprosy? You know, interesting, in the book of Revelation... One church, God speaks it this way. Please, please, please hear me. I've had the privilege of going to all seven of those sites, and many of them more than once. But the one that impacted me the most, the one that's most like us, was Sardis. It had the nicest everything. It had central heating. Granted, it was from water, but it had central heating. I mean, everything was about comfort. But do you remember Jesus' appraisal of Sardis? He said, Man, you've got reputations that things are going off. Man, it's going off. You've got programs and you've got things, and man, your praise team is kicking. And it's like, That's a loose paraphrase, but don't just believe me. But he says, Though you have a reputation that you're alive, Jesus says, You're dead. You're dead. And I wouldn't want Jesus' appraisal of me to be that. Like, you're doing so much, but you're dead. I have a friend who raised chickens, and we've watched one break its neck. It was dying. It it had lost all contact with the head, but it ran around like crazy. I thought that was just some kind of rumor. It's true. Now, when you lose the head, but wait a minute, isn't that the church too? What's the head of the church? Who's the head of the church? It's Jesus. When you decapitate Jesus from the church, it will get busy, but it's on its way to dying. Oh, beloved, please hear me. Please hear me. Maybe many of us in here can honestly sympathize with this person. Because really, it could happen to any of us. And here's the worst part. You can come up with a darn good reason why you should kill yourself from leprosy. Internally. Spiritually. That person. You know that situation? This thing. And you can grab a hold of it and all of a sudden your life's about this thing now and not about Jesus. And you know what's what's amazing is the enemy convinces you that somehow you're entitled to be this way. You know it's bad and you're entitled. Hold on to that pain, hold on to that disrespect, hold on to that thing, let it let it fester, let it fester, let it incubate, and as it does, it starts killing you. When I was fourteen years old, I had a friend who was a skater. We both taught martial arts, and, and and it was kind of a fun thing. And one day I was walking by a frozen pond, and he came at me. You know, the worst friends you could have are these kind of guys, right, with friends like this. Who needs enemies? They're less dangerous. At least you know they're coming at you. And he came at me with a hockey stick. And he was going to, you know, kind of prove the alpha thing, you know. And so I grabbed the hockey stick as well. Never really, I mean, I wasn't on skates. I had never skated, to be honest. Here's something I don't know if you know. I've never skated until I came to London. There you go. But I was standing on ice. You're probably aware of what that's like. And he came in with the hockey stick and we clasped them parallel. As we clasped them parallel, I came and I shot underneath his chin, knocking him out. Thinking, yes. And I'm hearing in my background, we are the champions. Oh, no, no, no. See, I didn't see the other end of the stick. The other end of the stick hit the underside of my knees, threw my feet up, and I landed on the corner of my shoulder blade. It popped my collarbone out three inches. Now, I kind of went, ah, ah. Got up and said, how you like me now? Right? And I went to bed that night. Woke up the next day, yeah, it's sore still. Woke up the next day, oh, it's is sore yet. And, I, and that wasn't so bad. The next day I woke up, I had no feeling in my arm whatsoever. That was a problem. That was a real problem. And I woke up, they're like, hi, how are you doing? You're like, yeah, hi. Right? And I remember, I better go get this looked at now. What was interesting was the pain didn't keep me from a doctor. The numbness, I should say this, the pain didn't bring me to a doctor. It was the numbness that did. Okay, am I there? Check. Is this on? So when I went to the doctor, he got very concerned. Needless to say, we took a whole bunch of x-rays. They could do whatever they wanted, whether they could pull it, yank it, do whatever they wanted, because I wasn't going to tell anyway. I couldn't tell. And he's like, oh, not very good, not very good, not very good. (laughs) What does that mean? He says, there's a primary nerve that heads down your arm and the bones had, it worked its way in between the two bones and it was severing that nerve. He's like, I slept on it another night, I could have lost my arm altogether. And I was the that's what I was told. In other words, it's like you're going to surgery and you're going today. All right, okay. And I remember after coming out of surgery, I'm sticking a needle in my fingers. It was the best pain I ever felt on that arm. Because what that pain said is, this is alive. And this is okay now. The rest will heal. And I remember that. To this day, I, we talk about glorious pain, and that's it right there. And thinking, oh God, thank you for that pain that said you're alive still. Let me ask you, are you so busy trying to be numb from a pain that God wants to heal, but you're treating the symptom instead of letting God cure you? What you don't realize is how infectious that is. What you don't realize is how you sneeze on other people. Because at those moments you get bitter and you spout it. At those moments you get nasty and you spout it. At those moments you get distant and you take others with you. At those moments, at those moments you cool down and you start spraying water on the fire of other people who at that moment really aren't the same. So Jesus reaches out his hand. Here's the good news today. Wherever you are, my God wants to do more than just heal you. He wants to cleanse you. And notice, this is about being filthy and not just about being sick. So he says, look at, I want to heal you. I want to cleanse you today. I want to transform you today. But for that to happen, you've got to be willing to let me. But listen, the good news is, Jesus says, I am willing. I am willing. Be clean. And as he puts his hand on and touches him and speaks these words. It says that the leprosy left him completely. Now, the difference between God's healing is you actually get your hands back. You get your feet back. You get your eyes back. The beautiful thing about Jesus is he doesn't just stop the progression. He makes it as if it never happened. That's what he's offering you today. That's what he's offering you. But that's what's up to you. And the last couple of minutes before we pray, the man says, then Jesus says, now imagine, this guy's been covered in leprosy. And he goes, well, whatever you do, don't go tell anyone yet. You think, don't go tell anyone yet. So he goes, go and present yourself to the priest. Now, what Jesus th- didn't say, because the verb tense is really clear, is not don't ever tell anyone. Could you imagine? They're like, you look a little different, Sarah. You look like you got a little bit more color. With the, you, know, you know, your arms are here. Ha- your back, your are ha- back. You have hands again. What's up? You know, like, I can't talk about it. You know? No, he says, look, at. don't pervert yourself from the path. Get to a priest first. Because I want this to be more than healing, Sarah. I want this to be more than healing, Dominic. I want this to be cleansing. But for that to happen, you need to be pronounced clean by a priest. So get this, listen quickly. You have to do this crazy ceremony. And again, I remind you, at this point I imagine that the priests are kind of flipping through Leviticus, trying to go, where was that at again? I don't know. How do we do that? And listen to this weird thing. You take this earthen vessel, and you have two birds. And you take and they're both alive, and you take one living bird and you kill it in the in the earthen vessel over living water. Well, that's weird. Now, any of you want that job? I'm like, not it. I mean, which one of you is like, okay, you hold the bowl, but it's got to bleed. It's got to bleed because then you have a few other items. The items that you have is you have hyssop, you have scarlet, you have another living bird, I remind you, and a piece of cedar wood. And then you take this guy that was a leper and you dip all four things and then you wag it at the guy. Okay, the wood, I'm okay. You know, it's kind of weird. The bird's kind of dead at that point. Oh, right? You know, take the, the piece of cloth. Which one of you wants to take the living bird? Yeah, yeah, it's like, there's your brother. You know, it's like sick, right? And then you take that, and then you go whack 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 on the guy, and then you kind of let it go, and it flies away. And if I were that bird, and if you were that bird, you wouldn't go back there. Last time I'm in that place, I am, I'm migrating forever to Florida. Okay, and then you go beyond all of that. Then after all of that, he goes, now, go take a, go wash your clothes. Good, because they're covered in blood. And then you can stay in your house, but only in your house, but you can't stay in your house. You can go into the camp, but you can't stay in your house yet for another seven days. Then you're going to come out and we're going to do another thing. Then we're going to take blood and we're going to take oil and we're going to put it on your right earlobe and on your right thumb and on your right toe. Big toe. And you go, wow, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. But please hear me. Please, please be patient. Earthen vessel, I have that in Scripture. Earthen vessel, according to the Corinthian letters, is us, our bodies. He says, we have treasures in earthen vessels. Same words, by the way. And then I look and I go, okay, there are two birds, but one bird lands and one bird flies away. One bird lands. And I think, well, where did the one bird land? And I can't help think of Jesus at his baptism, representing the Holy Spirit. And as I see the Holy Spirit and I see this, there's this killing that takes place. But as blood is shed there, it has to be over living water, not in living water, not among living water, but above it. In other words, the living water is there, but you're not in it. The earthen vessel is not in the living water. It is over it. It has it put its way. Listen, listen, you've put the earthen vessel over the living water. So the living water over you. And then you take these items, cedar, and I go, what do I see with cedar? Okay, I see the cedars of Lebanon. I see the cedar as being the structure for the temple, the place where God wants to dwell inside. And then I think, well, what's the temple now? Well, it's supposed to be me. God, his Holy Spirit supposed to dwell inside of me. I'm supposed to be that temple. And I look at Scarlet, and I can't help but think of Isaiah, it says, though your sins be as scarlet, you shall be white as snow. A bit ironic because you're white as snow at the moment, but now you're not but then I think of Jesus speaking to the religious leaders and the priests and saying, you're like whitewashed tombs. You're pretty and white on the outside, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. Oh, nice on the outside, but not here where it matters. And then I look at Hyssop. I think of Hyssop and I think, well, wait a minute. Hyssop was where what applied the blood in Exodus 12. So we saw the Passover and we were set free where the the, the wrath of God subsided on that house because we trusted in that Lamb. But it is also, according to David in Psalm 51, the only time where the word is used in Psalms where he says, cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. And that's Psalm 51. And what's the context? David begging God for forgiveness. And I look at these items and then there's this bird and I put it all together and this is what I get. There was this beautiful vessel, and inside this vessel, there was something living and thriving, but that thing got killed inside of them. Now, you can't kill the Spirit of God, but you can quench Him. And you could become numb to Him. And you don't even see the blood that's shed for you anymore. But there's a place where God wanted to live inside, and there, well, what's it going to take? It's going to take forgiveness. It's going to take forgiveness and trusting in that Lamb to forgive you, that His shed blood would happen. Because I shouldn't be over this water. This living water that's God's Holy Spirit should be every bit of my own being now. And I look at that and I think, oh God, please cleanse me. Because what I don't realize at first is that this numbness is a sin. It's a sin that needs to be forgiven. But here's the beautiful promise. At the end of it all, one bird gets let loose and it doesn't come back. Why is that important? Because I see that one other place in Scripture, and that's in Genesis. Where when the, when the bird was set free, when the dove was set out, it would always come back with something. And when it came out back with something, it says, well, okay, if it's coming back with something, okay, that's a concern, or we're almost there. But when that dove was set out and it never came back, there's a whole new world now that you're going to have. It's time to land and start over. Can you see that with God now with you? But wait a minute, what about all that weird ear, low, thumb, toe stuff? You know, there's only other one person who experiences that in Scripture. That's the priest. And it consecrates him. First, it's the blood, just like this leper, because the blood says, you are cleansed. And then it was the oil that says, you are consecrated. You are set apart for service. Hear me, hear me, hear me. If, if you today recognize the numbness in your heart because of the sin, whatever that is, if you recognize that God is so much more, but you're trying to avoid a pain that God wants to use to heal you. If you recognize today that our hearts could be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We can choose to harden our hearts because God has a will for us. But today you recognize it is killing you and you see it in the lack what in, in your lack of vision and the sparkles gone You see it in the joy being gone. You see it in the fact that you see your flesh erupting so much more. You see it in your hands and feet not being where they should be. They should be quick to serve. But now I realize, man, everything's so rough. And all I feel is the weight of the world on top of me. Well, come to Jesus today. Please, for your sake, come to Jesus. And as you do, watch Him tell you, I am willing But when he puts his hand upon you and you are going to go and stand before the priest, listen, the great news is our high priest is Jesus. So he's a one stop deal. But for this man, he had to go to a priest and he was testifying that he was the leper in the end. The priest was. But what Jesus makes clear and what Leviticus makes clear is as God transforms you today, he is calling you to ministry. That's why it's on this guy. A priest has to look and go, the same guy that was at the bottom, the last have now become first. And as God transforms you today, he is going to turn you into a servant, a servant that transforms and touches the world. But that's your choice. But recognize he's not going to set you free to be free. He's going to set you free to be a freer. And that's what He wants today with you and me. As He wants us to be able to say, oh, He is willing come because He can set you free. But that's your choice. So as we go to prayer, note this, my God sets free, makes whole, but He also makes clean. And I believe it's time for every one of us today to come clean. With Jesus. Here's the good news. The ultimate blood shed on the cross so that all your sins could be paid for and mine too. And as he died there, Jesus, my God, took the earthen vessel himself of a human being and there on the cross he was killed. And it is that blood that makes me clean. And if you've never accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I'm here to let you know there was more than one bird there because on the third day, just as God promised, he was resurrected. And it is the new life that he offers now. A whole new world. And that's what he wants for you. Regardless of where you go by the end of this night, regardless of where you set your head on, what pillow tonight, go set a clean head and heart upon that pillow tonight. So I'm going to give you that choice. But as for me, and prayerfully my household, I want to be clean. And I want to walk out of here clean today. Pray with you, would you please?